one is opened up to us, but it, it cle- clearly it's not just about a building. God is doing some things in this transition um, that it's more about healing than it is about moving. And there's a lot of details that in days to come I'll get to share with you, but God is doing something really, really magnificent here. And he's opened up a great deal of favor to us. Um, Matthew, if you could put that building back up. This building here was built in, I think it was 1952. And it's the original Faith Temple building. It's a little over 10,000 square feet. The sanctuary will seat, depending upon how you, how you put your chairs in there, uh, 250 to 300 people. Uh, though I met one of the elders who was there in the beginning, and he said there were some services they had 500 people in there. How in the world do you fit 500 people in there unless there are circus acts that can bend and twist? I have no idea. But he said they used to have 500 people in there. Uh, this land was dedicated by Oral Roberts, and it's got a huge legacy and history of faith. And it's been offered to us to use on a love offering basis. No lease, no long-term assignment or agreement. They're just opening it up to us. And uh, so we have two more weeks, I think. Let me look at the calendar here. Uh, we have two more services here, three, then two more services here, and then the, November the 4th will be our first service in the new building. Is that, check your calendars. We're here till the end of the month, however many more services that is. Counting today, I think that might be three. Is it three? Three counting today? Okay, so three more services here. And if you would like to help, we most certainly could use your help. Um, I had to slow the ladies down. Pastor Deborah and Dawn were just like crazy women packing up everything. And if, if, if we weren't careful, I thought they were going to put me in a box. Um, but we got, we, got, we got most of 201, which is our office, already done. And if you would like to volunteer to help, uh, please see Dawn or Pastor Deborah, and, and they'll get you the details. The moving day, if you would, that's, that's going to be the day we go gangbusters and get everything out of here. The, the last service, which I think is the 28th of this month, is that right? The last, the last service of the month will be on the 28th. On the next, that, after service, we're just going to pack up everything. Pack up the chairs. Uh, Harold and some of the men will be here breaking down the sound system. The next day of moving, yeah, come casual. Um, you don't have to look as good as me. It's a, it's, it's a fruitless effort to try anyhow. Are y'all here this morning? <laughs> I mean, you know, it just is the way it is. You know what I'm saying? But on that day, dress casually because then at, at the end of service, we're just going to break down everything. The next day, a moving company will come and move us from here to there. And then we'll have a couple days that week to set everything up. So once we get out there, be, you know, we'll help set up all the chairs and everything. It can be done. We just need everyone to contribute. So if you, would you participate? Raise your hand if you're able or willing to volunteer some time. Amen. So I need you to see Pastor Deborah or Don at the end of service. They know who you are, sweetness. Uh, I'm not Pastor Deborah. And I don't see Don. Don somewhere. Oh, she went into the back. So most of you know her. And then for the moving day, if you would see Matthew or Justin, and uh, we're going to get some guys here, and we'll get some pizza, and we'll just do this thing. Amen. But I'm, I'm excited for I mean, i got to be honest with you. The, the facility is, is more than double the size of the sanctuary. And the, the legacy of faith that's there, that's what amazes me the most. Who has stood in that pulpit? And I'll get to preach where Oral Roberts has preached. A.A. Allen has been there. 
Uh, R.W. Schambach has preached there. And just to get to stand where they stood, to me, is pretty impressive. Amen? All righty. Well, we'll receive our offering at the end of the service, if you would. Turn on the lights up here, Matthew. And let's get into today's message. I want to talk to you uh, some more about the glory of God. How many of you have been enjoying these messages on the glory? I've heard a couple of testimonies, and I want to, at some, at some point before the service ends today, we're going to share a couple of testimonies with you. But are you aware that there's an unchangeable rule of life that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he? That's an undeniable truth of life. You are the sum total of your thoughts. That's not metaphysics, and that's not new age. That's life. How many of you know the clothes you have on right now, you have on because you thought, right or wrong, you thought they would look good, right? Everything you do, you do because it starts as a thought. Everything you have in your life, the chairs you are sitting on started as a thought. Everything in life comes from the thought. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Listen. If God can't change your mind, he can't change your life. He can change your circumstances. But listen, you've heard me say this before. You know the old saying, the grass is always greener on the other side of the hill. But I've said this to you before and I'll say it again. There's no answer in just getting to the other side of the hill. Because if you killed the grass on the side of the hill you're on now, Should God move you to the other side of the hill, you'll just kill the grass there too. The answer is not in finding greener pastures. The answer is in changing your mindset so where you are becomes a garden. Right? So if God can change your mind, He can change everything. If He can't change your mind, then then the most He can do is momentary changes. Hmm? Come on now. I remember having a talk one time with a guy, and this is not part of the message, so it doesn't count against my time. But I remember talking to a guy about supernatural debt cancellation. And he was all about sowing, believing that God would supernaturally eliminate all of his debt. And he asked if I believe that that happens. And I said, absolutely. There's many examples in the scripture of that happening. I said, but here's the problem. If God doesn't change your spending habits... Should he eliminate all your debts? All it's going to take you is about a month to build them back up. And that's the reason why many saints are constantly living in the need of miracles. They're always needing miracles because they're not yet living in the blessing. Hmm? But when you're blessed, you don't need miracles. Do you know that? Do you know? Is this okay? How many of you know miracles are not God's best? The blessing is God's best. When he first created man, it doesn't say and he miracled them. It says he blessed them. Because the blessing immunizes you against such circumstances as that you would need a miracle. Amen? And so what we need to do, and I mean, I'm all for miracles. I want to see God do things. But I would rather have a church filled with, with people who are so blessed that they don't ever need miracles. That they are miracles. Amen? That everywhere they go, they provide, they become the channels of the miraculous to those who need them. But then they teach them what they know so that those who needed miracles don't need them anymore. Come on now. 
And that, listen, with, with the teaching about the glory, that's all we're trying to do. That, that worship was so good, it hurt my throat. The, 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 with the teaching of the glory, what we're trying to do is change our mindset so that we don't go through life acting like little flesh creatures. What do you mean by that? Meaning that we, we're just going through life, sinners saved by grace, and we'll make it to heaven someday, but we're going through hell to get there. Huh? You can say amen or oh me. I want to change our mindset in such a way that we recognize, realize, and appreciate who we are in Christ. And that the devil becomes horrified that we know we're glorified. Amen? That was worth it. That, that, was, that was worth the price of admission right there. That the devil is horrified that you now know you're glorified. So, because when you know you're glorified, you'll no longer act like a victim. How many, come on now. You've heard me say this before. Your behavior is always affected by what you believe. You can't change. And this is where the church is. The church has come up short sometimes because the church has majored on behavior, trying to change people's behavior before it changes their mind. Are you all here? That's rules and regulations. When someone gets saved and we give them a list of what they can't do. Now that you're saved, you can't dress like this. You can't do this. You can't go there. We're trying to affect their behavior. And we've not yet changed their mind. So what happens is they stay strong for about three months, six months, a year. And then they find that they don't have victory over those things, so they think they backslid. Mm -hmm. And they go back to the old behavior. Well, if we change the mind, the behavior will change itself. If you can change what someone believes about God, about themselves, and about their circumstances you'll forever alter their life. So when I'm trying to teach you about the glory, what I'm trying to do is get you to see a different image when you look in the mirror. So when you look in the mirror, John G. Lake used to look in the mirror, and some people thought it was egotistical. And it wasn't egotistical. It was just an, it was an absolute admission that God's word is true. When he would look in the mirror, he'd say, wherever those clothes go, God goes. Hmm? Now, scripturally illiterate, spiritually ignorant people thought he was prideful. But he wasn't being arrogant. He was being truthful. He had learned that God's word was greater than his circumstances. So when he looked in the mirror, he did not see a John G. Lake who had made mistakes. He saw a man clothed in the glory of God. And it so affected his behavior that he, he could heal the sick. And then when they put a virus in his hand and held it under a microscope, it died. Hmm? Well, that, wasn't, that didn't happen in John G. Lake's life because he was John G. Lake. It happened in John G. Lake's life because John G. Lake believed. So my question to you this morning is, do you believe? Do you believe from Genesis to Revelation? Do you believe everything he said is true? Do you think he lies about who he is? then do you think he lies about who you are? No. The greatest battle, this is all, the greatest battle any of us will face in life is a battle of identity. 
learning to identify with who God says we are rather than who life has declared us to be. Hmm? People get defined by all kinds of things. They get defined by their race. They get defined by their economics. They get defined by their politics. They get defined by their denomination. Life will try to define you in a million different ways. But here's the thing. Life will always define you as something less than what God has named you. And so your battle is to accept God's naming or his calling of you more than the definitions that life has given you. Amen? When we begin to believe what God has declared, it'll so affect our behavior that life will never, ever be the same. Amen. Well, when we're talking about the glory, what we've said about the glory is this, that the glory is more than illumination, though it is brilliant. It's more than illumination. The glory is sensational, but it's more than a sensation. The glory of God adds substance and weight to our lives, so much substance that our words carry weight. We said this, that, that, that to take something lightly, which is the opposite of weighty. When I say weighty, doesn't that mean heavy? Well, you can't take something heavy or take something lightly that's heavy. Right? To take something lightly means you don't think it has any weight, any substance. But when the glory of God is on you and its primary function is to add weight, then life can no longer take you lightly. We said this, that it seems that God's glory or his authority stems from his glory. The reason God has absolute supreme authority is because he has absolute supreme glory. Hmm? And you can't take God's words lightly. If you do so, you do so to your own detriment. Because God's words are exceptionally heavy. When God speaks, everyone ought to listen. Amen? Well, the reason why God's words are so weighty it's because he alone is supreme in his glory. And he clothed man with glory so as to equip man to rule. If you weren't here, go to Psalm 8. And read Psalm 8 again. We talked about that man was crowned with glory. And then it talked about he was made to rule. Well, the thing that equipped him to rule was the glory that rested upon him. Without the glory, and this is what we'll see in just a few minutes, without the glory, man no longer had the ability to rule because his words no longer carried weight. The earth could take man lightly because man's words meant nothing because he had lost the glory that added weight to who he was. Amen? Today what I want to share with you is the ease of the glory. There's something about the glory of God that it, it, it brings an ease to life. If you would, go to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. When you find it, say amen. Are you ready for your life to change this morning? I said this while, while, you're, while you're turning there. Remember this. I, I, 
I said that when you read the story of Genesis, you see God acting to preserve, not punish. How many of you remember me saying that? Well, a couple people questioned me because they've been so taught that God was moving in punishment that when I said God was moving to preserve, they thought I was being contrary to the Scripture. And now, when I say that God moved to preserve, I'm not saying that God never punishes. God clearly does punish. But when God punishes, you don't have to wonder, did God punish? How many of you remember Korah? Hmm? Korah opposed Moses. The earth opened up and swallowed him and all those who agreed with him. You didn't have to wonder, was God displeased? Come on now. How many of you ever remember the story of Ai? When the children of Israel brought idols and brought them into their tent. And they lost, because they had disobeyed God, they lost the battle. And, and I think it was 36,000 men had been killed. And when, when Joshua asked God why, because they had had a chain of successes. And when Joshua asked God why, God revealed that they had been disobedient, brought idols into their tents. And here was what God said. You find everyone that did it and you burn them with fire. Hmm? You didn't have to wonder, was God displeased? When God tells the pastor to set you on fire, you displease God. Amen? How many of you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? You didn't have to wonder, as hail fell from the sky and caused fire where it hit, was God upset? Hmm? Does God punish? Yes. But is that God's first reaction? No. God's first reaction is to protect you from yourself. God's a preserver rather than a punisher. Even in his punishment, there's preservation. Because he's trying to kill a virus before the virus kills a host. Hmm? God is a preserver of life. So when you read the story of Genesis, you see that God is moving to preserve man. So when God, when God removes man, he removes him so that redemption stays possible. Hmm? He, wants to, he, wants to, he knows he wants to redeem man. So God's moving to preserve, not punish. You have to have that in mind. Listen, if God wanted to punish you, he has ample reasons to. The fact that you're not dead yet shows that God is trying to preserve you. Because God is infatuated with your potential. And he wants you to become who you were created to be. So he nurtures you, he holds your hand, he protects you against sticking your hand in the fire until you grow up into a full-grown son of God. Well, Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. If I ramble too much, I won't even get into the message. Did God curse the planet? Was God so angry that he cursed everything to punish man? No, he wasn't. Read this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Then to Adam he said, listen to this, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Now listen to this. Cursed is the ground because of what? Cursed is the ground not because I declare it to be so, Cursed is the ground because of you. 
In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Now here's something that I want to say to you because we're talking about the ease of the glory. The ground was cursed, not because God declared it to be cursed. This really wasn't a declaration of punishment. This is really an announcement of consequences. How many of you are parents? How many of you ever said to your children, because you did this, now this is what's going to happen? Hmm? If they hadn't done what they did, what's going to happen wouldn't have happened. So when you're announcing it, you're really just announcing consequences. And when, 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 when God came into the garden and had to search out man, and this is what we want to talk about. We talked about one of the first things that Adam lost was the glory. Because the first change Adam noticed was that he was naked. That's the first change he noticed. Well, we know from Psalm 8 that he was crowned with glory. We also know that he had to be clothed with glory. Because when he lost the glory, he discovered his nakedness. Remember that? God said, why are you hiding? And he said, I'm hiding because I'm naked. The Lord said, well, who told you you were naked? He suddenly discovered something about himself. He discovered that when the glory departed, so the very first thing that happened when Adam rebelled was that the glory left. Now the Lord comes in and he begins to announce some consequences. He said, because you've done this, the ground itself is going to be cursed. Not because I curse it, but because you stepped outside In your disobedience, you stepped outside the realm and the protection of my glory. When you step, listen, when we're talking about the glory, one thing that we, I said this a couple weeks ago, that there's safety and humility. Something else you've got to understand is that obedience is a must. You cannot be willingly disobedient and be protected by the glory of God. Now, I'm not talking about missing it. Is this okay? I'm not really following my notes. I'm just kind of going with whatever comes up. I'm not talking about missing it. We all miss it. Missing it is not the same as willing disobedience. Missing it is not knowing what to do and trying to do something. Hmm? Being disobedient is knowing what to do and choosing not to do it. And when you're willingly disobedient, the reason why it's important to know this is because if you don't know the difference between missing it and disobedience, when you miss it, you'll listen to the devil who tells you you blew it. But when you know the difference between disobedience and missing it, when you miss it, you understand mercy and grace. When you're disobedient, you'll know you need repentance. Hmm? You can't be willingly disobedient and be protected by the glory. But if you and I are obedient and careful to do all that we know to do, we can expect the glory of God to cover our nakedness and our mistakes. And this is what I'm preaching about. Listen, the whole thing about teaching on the glory is to change our mind. To recognize and realize we're more than just a congregation. We're more than just a group of people who come together to sing some songs and hear a sermon. We are a group of people who have been glorified. We are the people of God clothed with the glory of God. Hmm? That's what distinguishes us. Come on now. Listen, what distinguishes us is not our creeds, our doctrines, and our duties. It's not our dress code and our singing style. What distinguishes the church of the living God is that they are clothed with the glory of God. 
Hmm? And when the church knows, listen, he, the Bible says he's coming back for a glorious. A glorious. We need to know that we have been glorified because when we know that we are clothed with the glory, it'll change the way we behave. Hmm. Okay, Lord, help me with this one. When Adam lost the glory, did he lose more than just his clothes and his crown? Yeah. Yeah. Because we find in the pronouncement that whereas before life would have been easy, now life would be hard. Let's keep reading. Let's go to the next verse. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Verse 18. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. When I read this, I thought that's where vegetarians came from. Are y'all here this morning? Being too serious. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Verse 19, by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, and for you, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, this is a pronouncement of consequences, so let's draw a distinction. If after he lost the glory, he would have to toil, and he would live by the sweat of his brow, what do you suppose life was like before he lost the glory? There has to be a distinction. Life before could not be the same as life after, because otherwise life after would not have marked a change. Are you all listening to me? There had to be a, a, an amazing distinction between life before and life after. Life after was that the earth, which, listen to me, used to be a cooperative partner. Now was going to be contrary. The ground was cursed. So the ground was not going to cooperate with him anymore. Whereas before or after he had to make eke out, scratch out a living by the sweat of his brow. That means before life had to be different. When Adam sinned, when Adam rebelled, he lost more than a crown and clothing. He lost a manner of living. Imagine this, okay? He was living clothed in the glory of God. The glory of God gives birth to the authority of God. His coach, his mentor, the one who taught him was God. So how does God rule the cosmos? Well, if you read Genesis chapter 1, Come on now. Read Genesis chapter 1 and you'll find before every change these words, and God said. Before every change, you'll read the words, and God said. Go to the book of Hebrews. Let me show you something in Hebrews.
I had to write out my own sermon. I'm not used to doing that. Because the printers wouldn't work. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. No, 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 that's the wrong one. Boy, howdy. You know, when you don't write anything anymore, your handwriting gets really bad. I want to show it to you. I could quote it to you, but I want to show it to you. Hebrews 11, verse 3. Hebrews 11, verse 3. You there? By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. I like the way the amplified version, it says in the continuing ages, in every age, the worlds were framed, prepared, set in motion by the word of God. Now, this word, if you look it up, the word that's the translated word comes from the Greek rhema, which literally means utterance, declaration. Voice. The worlds were framed or set in motion by the voice of God. Do you see that? Technology's just now catching up to the way God does things. If, if, if some of you have iPhones, or you, you, you've noticed that a lot of things now are voice activated. God's creation has always been voice activated. Hello? The cosmos respond to the voice of God. So where am I going with this? If God clothed Adam with his glory, his authority, and shared with him his manner of life, and taught him how to live, don't you think that God taught Adam to live according to God's mode of operation? God does not eke out or scratch out a living according to the, to, to the sweat of his brow. When God wants something to change, he speaks to it. Hello? It's what Genesis 1 says. When God found a situation that wasn't to his liking, he spoke to it and caused it to change. Now, why did what he speak to respond to him? Because of the glory of God that's on him, his words are so weighty that he can turn chaos into structure. He can turn darkness into light. With his word, he can separate the sky from the ocean. With his word, he can tell the waves how far to come and to come no further. Hmm? So when, when, when God was teaching Adam how to live, do you suppose that God would have taught Adam to live according to God's methods? Hmm? Well, of course, the Bible supports this. Because when Adam lost the glory, he lost the ability to live that lifestyle. So now nothing for him was voice activated. Now he had to scratch out a living with the sweat of his brow. And the earth, instead of giving to him figs, and olives was going to produce thorns and thistles. And now life, listen, this is, where, this is where I'm going with this. Life after he lost the glory became difficult. But when he had the glory of God resting upon him, there was an ease about life. It doesn't mean that there wasn't something to do. 
It just meant he had the authority and the ability to get the job done. Hmm? And from the time of Adam, well, let me ask you this. Is this okay this morning? How, how did the last Adam, the Bible refers to the first Adam and the last Adam. How did the last Adam live? Well, when he encountered a storm, he spoke to it. And what did it do? It obeyed. When he encountered sickness, when he encountered demonic opposition, when he encountered anything that was contrary to the will of God, he spoke to it. And it obeyed. Well, if that's the way the last Adam lived, then that's also the way the first Adam lived. And those of us who are in Adam, a.k.a. Christ, we are to be in this world even as he is. Help me, Father. Now that we're recognizing and realizing that the glory that was lost because of sin has been restored because of redemption, we don't live as fallen man lived. We don't take as our example the heroes of the Old Testament. We take as our example the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's the last Adam. He's the one who came in the fullness of God, who was called the glory of God. And when you saw him operate, you saw the way man was meant to operate. Because he was our example, not of God, but of a man fully clothed in the glory of God. Hmm? This is why he said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because I'm, com I'm completely clothed in his glory. When I talk, it's like him talking. Now, as we grow in that image, how do you become like him? The Bible says, by the renewing of your mind. You can't think one way and live another. In order to live like Christ, you have to learn to think like Christ. The Bible says, let this attitude be in you that was also in Christ. You know, Christ had an attitude. I've preached on it before. I call it the apostolic attitude. He had a certain attitude. He believed that when he spoke, things would happen. He expected things to change when he spoke to them. One of the, one of the most startling things to me about the life of Christ is that he seemed to be stress-free. I never read about Jesus freaking out. I never hear about him having a panic attack. He never ran anywhere. He walked everywhere. It was as if there was a certain ease about his life. Y'all listening to me? I mean, when he got to the tomb of Lazarus, and Lazarus had been dead for four days, and he stank, Jesus was casual. Come on. Who's our master? Who's our model? God taught Adam. Who teaches us? Do you suppose he teaches us to live a way other than he lives? Do you suppose he has other examples other than his own? Do you suppose that he says, you know, this is the way I live, but you're still under Genesis chapter 3. 
Hmm? Now, am I saying that just because we learn who we are, that suddenly earth is going to become a paradise? I don't believe so. Because even the Apostle Paul, who I think was a full-grown son of God, talked about struggles. We still live in a, in, a, in a world that has an enemy. He's called the prince of the power of the air. And he's antagonistic toward your dreams, your calling, and your faith. You still have to contend with him. But listen to me. When you meet the enemy on the battlefield of faith, you don't meet him as a victim. You meet him as someone who knows who they are in Christ, clothed with the glory of God. In other words, you don't meet him according to your strength. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You don't meet the enemy according to the frailties of your, of your flesh. You meet the enemy according to who you are in Christ, a glorified creature. This is the reason why I said the devil becomes horrified when you know that you're glorified. Because you'll no longer meet him according to your experiences, or your doctrines. You'll meet him according to who you are in Christ. And you'll meet him on the battlefields of life, not as someone who's been stripped of their glory, left naked in the world, like an orphan with no one to love him. But you'll meet the enemy of life as someone fully clothed in the glory of God. And you'll expect your words to bring about a change. Hello? This is the ease of the glory. We're no longer living, even though we have enemies. We're no longer living according to the sweat of our brow. We're living according to the word of God. Can I say this to you? Before Adam fell, he didn't live according to his great labor. He lived by his great glory. Can I say that again? Before he fell, Adam did not live by the strength of his arms. By how many, how many acres of land he was able to plow. Before he fell, he lived by the glory of God. When he spoke, things obeyed. After he was stripped of his glory, he lost that ability. Now he couldn't speak and things obeyed. Why? Because the planet took him lightly. He was a king without a crown. He was royalty without a throne. You couldn't distinguish him from the monkey or the parrot because he had no more glory. So when he spoke, the earth said, hmm? But when Jesus came, he didn't come like any other man. When he spoke, things listened. This is the reason why he said, remember we read this in John, the glory that you've given me, I've given to them. Why? So that they may be one even as we are one. And I said this to you, you can't be one with God without the glory of God resting upon you. The glory of God resting upon the people of God is absolutely essential to the plan of God. Because without his glory, you don't have his authority. Without his authority, the earth won't listen to you. This is the reason why for so many years, so many of us, our confessions have been meaningless. Because we've spoken without weight. One time a person asked Brother Hagen. They came to Brother Hagen and they said, I preach your exact sermons. I use your titles. I, 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 I preach exactly what you preach. But when I preach, nothing happens. 
when you preach, things happen. Why? And Brother Hagin said, easy. That's because I'm a voice and you're a parrot. Hmm? Too many of us, we've been parroting what others have said. But in our mind's eye, and when we look in the mirror, we don't see a glorified man or woman of God. We still see that little abused child. We still see that orphan without clothes. We still see the one who was abandoned. We still see ourselves with all of our scars. But when we recognize and realize that the glory of God covers us, then even though we've been through hell and back, even though we've been battle-torn and battle-scarred, we don't see the scars because of the glory of God that covers us. Is this making sense? This is the reason why without this teaching, without an understanding, Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Because without the knowledge of the glory, its purpose and its intent and its necessity in your life, you'll try to be but never become because you're trying to be without the glory. The glory of God is not something that shows up to wild people. The glory of God is the armor of God given to the people of God so that they can be one with God. Hello? And there's a certain ease that comes with the glory. Because when the glory returns, and it returned at the point of salvation. Well, if it returned at the point of salvation, then why has life been so hard? Well, a couple of reasons. One, I already told you that you have an enemy. And you have an enemy that absolutely thrives on ignorance. If he can keep you ignorant as to who you really are, then you'll never become what you're supposed to be. Hmm? He thrives on ignorance. He wants the church to believe anything other than the word of God. He wants to see yourself as anything other than a glorified child of God. Because if he can keep you ignorant as to your true identity, then you'll never be who God ordained you to be. But when you wake up and you begin to realize that what God declared over you is true, whether you have ever experienced it, ever felt it, or ever known it, it's true. You are glorified. The glory of God already rests upon you. The spirit of glory covers you like a blanket. And if that's true, then you are already walking in the glory. And you might say, well, I don't feel it. What did I tell you? It's not about the sensation. Well, I ain't never seen it. My face doesn't glow like Moses. When I walk into a dark room, I still got to turn on a light. Well, so do I. Maybe your face doesn't glow like a light bulb. But the glory of God still rests upon you because he declared it to be so. So you're walking in the glory. You live in the glory. You need to begin to behave like you're glorified. Well, how does a glorified person behave? There's a certain ease to it. They don't, they don't scratch out a living. Now their universe becomes voice activated. Are you talking new age? No, I'm talking the Bible, baby. See, that's one of the lies of, of the enemy. He wants you to believe that speaking the word is new age, metaphysics. And it's not, it's scripture. I've said this to you before that the Bible, is it, mm, the Bible does not ever acknowledge silent faith. 
the Bible only acknowledges spoken faith. You won't speak unless you believe. Paul said, I believe, therefore I... When you know that you're glorified, you're going to speak to your elements, the elements of life, the, the conditions of life, as if the glory of God rests upon you. And it's so much better to meet the enemy on the battlefield of life because you will still meet him. But it's so much better to meet him clothed in the glory of God than naked and destitute. It's so much better to meet him in the strength of the Lord than the strength of your own arm. Hmm? I don't even know why I wrote all these notes. I ain't following them. Hmm. As we grow, listen, as we grow in our awareness of the glory of God, we'll change from day to day into his image. There, none of us are yet who God sees us to be. But we don't settle for what we know. How many of you know this? And I'll try to bring this to a close. How many of you know that the best you've ever experienced of life is not even close to God's design? We must never settle for what we've known, what we've experienced, or what we've acknowledged as the best there is. We must constantly strive and yearn to become more like Him and to walk in a closer unity and oneness with Him. I'll never be... listen. Maybe now the common cold doesn't respond to my voice. But come back and see me in five years. Come back and see me in ten years. As I learn about the glory of God. And I learn about who I am in Him. There will come a day when not only does the common cold respond to my voice, but cancer must yield to it. There will come a day when not only, not only will, will a room illuminate because of my voice, but darkness will be repelled. It's not about who we are now. It's about who we're becoming in Him. It's not about what we've experienced in times past. It's about what He's held in store for us. And everything that He's held in store is available to us. I'm not waiting until heaven to experience the glory of God. We can have it now. What we need to do, man, there's so many places you can go with this. For so long, we've identified with the first Adam. And all we know about him is life after the fall. We need to learn to identify with the last Adam. Because it's in him that we live. It's in him that we move. It's in him that we have our A.K.A. identity. It's in Him. And so we're glorified in Him. We go through life as He did. Listen to this. I wrote, As we grow in our awareness of the glory and its purpose, life will cease being a struggle. Oh, you'll still have contention. The enemy will still oppose you.
Having Goliath confront you is no big deal when you know you can take his head. Hmm? Having a span of water between you and your destination is no big deal when you can walk on it. Having no food to feed the, the, the multitudes is no big deal when you know you can bless it and it'll multiply. When you know that you're walking in the glory of God and you've learned to identify with the last Adam, not the first, then you, you'll still have contention. How many of you know Jesus had things that opposed him? He had people that opposed him. He had circumstances that opposed him. He had a spiritual opposition that opposed him. But no matter what opposed him, there was a certain ease. Everyone say ease. For the church, life is not supposed to be difficult. I'm not saying it'll be carefree. You'll still have opponents. But there's just an ease that comes with knowing no weapon formed against you can prosper. There's a certain ease that comes from knowing and believing that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The ease comes not from what you experience out here. The ease comes from who you are in here. No, I won't go there. Go to Hebrews chapter 4, and this is where we'll close. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. Hallelujah, Father. I got to say something to you. As soon as this service is over, I'll be getting next week's sermon. Because I have been, for the last month, Meditating on the glory of God. And I thought I've had good subjects before. I mean, I thought the friend of God was something to meditate on. I've thought the anointing of God was something. To, and they are. But I got to tell you, the glory of God. Oh, my God. What a subject. What a reality. The glory of God comes on us and it changes everything. The glory of God brings ease. Next week we'll talk about the glory of God brings revelation. The glory of God can rest on your house. The glory of God can rest on your person. It can rest on your children. The glory of God is all invasive. All we have to do is acknowledge it. In our labor is to enter into it. Hebrews chapter 4. You there? Verse 9. Now, I don't want it in that translation. That's the one I want. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Next verse. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Next verse. Therefore, let us be diligent. The King James Version says, let us labor. Let us be diligent to enter that rest. 
so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Keep it there. Whether you're reading a translation that says labor or you're reading a translation that says diligent, they both come from a Greek word that means to use speed or speedily. What this, Bible, what this verse is telling us is be quick to lean into his rest and not your own efforts. Be quick. Another way of saying it, in, in all of your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your steps. And in, in, in everything that you go through, be quick to enter into his rest. Be quick to enter into that ease. Be quick to acknowledge that you're more than who you appear to be. Be quick to enter into that rest that comes from knowing that you're clothed in the glory of God. Is this making sense to you? When something comes against you, don't try to figure it out according to the natural man. Don't try to battle it according to the natural man. If you engage the enemy according to your strength, according to your intellect, according to your stamina, you're going to lose. He's been around a long time. He ain't smart, but he ain't stupid. Hmm? When something comes against you, be quick to enter into that rest. Be quick to acknowledge, I stand in the glory of God. And I will not be disobedient because I know if I do something other than what God's told me to do, I'm stepping out from that glory. And in closing, let me say this. The greatest armor that's ever clothed a human soul is the glory of God. When you stay in the glory of God, when you stay through obedience and humility within the glory of God, Something we've learned about the glory. If you read about the Holy of Holies, the glory of God is impenetrable. No weapon that's ever been formed can go through the glory. And when you and I are hid in the glory of God, that's when it becomes true. No weapon formed against you can prosper. Huh? Why? Why can't it prosper? Because I'm hid in the glory of God. And the devil has nothing. No arrows. No spikes, no missiles, no bullets. He has nothing that can get to me when I'm here. How do I stay here? By faith. By obedience. By constantly acknowledging who I am in Him. And no matter what comes against me that's contrary, the first thing I do is I'm speedy to enter into that rest that says, God, this is your battle. Not mine. What's that old song say? If I hold my peace and let the Lord fight my battles. Victory, oh victory, is mine. Amen? Life for the church ought not to be the same as a life for an unbeliever. Oh, we, we have things to contend with, but we've got something that nobody else has. The glory of God. The glory of God is our weapon. The glory of God is our rest. The glory of God is our defense. The glory of God is our environment. The glory of God is where we were meant to be. And through Christ, we've gained entrance right back into it. Amen? All right, stand to your feet. We're going to pray, then we'll receive the offering. 
And then you are dismissed to go forth and vanquish every foe. Encouraged to beat the devil senseless. Give him reasons to be horrified. If you have pain in your body right now as we pray, I want you to put your hand on that place of pain. Because we're going to release healing. Shut off the lights if you would. Thank you, Father. Father, I ask you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Cause the scales of unbelief to fall from our eyes. Help us, Lord, to see reality and truth. To see you for who you are. And, Lord, to see ourselves for who you've made us to be. Lord, it is, it is our intent to obey your word, to arise and shine. For your glory has come. Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, we appeal to the glory of God to force out of our body all sickness. In Jesus' name, Lord, we speak to the pain, we speak to the discomfort, we speak to the ailment, and we say, in Jesus' name, you must leave our body now. Father, we speak to our environment. We speak to the conditions that surround us that are contrary to your word. And Lord, we introduce our environment to your glory. And we say to our environment, you must yield and give up your produce. You can no longer contend with me. You must yield to me. So we speak to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west. And we call forth the resources, Lord, that we need. We call forth in Jesus' name and we say, You come to me, for you are ordained to be mine. And we will no longer be satisfied to do without. Father, we thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we walk in the glory. We minister out from that glory. Lord, we work in that glory. Father, the things that used to be difficult, the things that used to be complex become simple. Not because of our great intellect, but because of your word. Let the glory fall. Let the glory arise. Let it envelop us, Father, in front, in back, on top, on bottom, on both sides. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Hallelujah, Father. If you need an offering envelope this morning, they're in the seat pockets in front of you or behind you, depending upon where you may be seated. Once again, let me say to you to please see Dawn.